Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Friday, February 2nd, ND, 2024, and you're listening to Alex's News. In Riverside weather today, we brace for a high of 54.8 degrees and a low of 47.2 on this chilly February day. Stay warm as we dive into the pressing issues and latest findings making headlines. First up, we'll explore how the Biden administration is ramping up the battle against the opioid crisis with new regulations aimed at improving access to vital treatments like methadone and buprenorphine. These changes could mark a significant shift in addiction treatment options. Then, we're on to the environment, where the EPA is stepping forward with ambitious proposals to tighten controls on PFAs, a group of chemicals linked with serious health risks. We'll discuss what these new rules could mean for industry practices and public health. And for our curious minds, new research is putting an old organ in a new light. The appendix, once thought to be just a redundant piece of our anatomy, is revealing its secrets. Stay tuned to learn about the surprising functions of the appendix as scientists uncover its crucial roles in gut health and our immune system. Stick around for detailed reports on these stories and more, right here on Alex's News. We begin our top story today with the Biden administration's latest response to the escalating opioid crisis that has gripped the nation. The White House is moving to expand access to methadone, a critical treatment for opioid addiction. Ethan, can you walk us through the changes and what's prompted this action? Absolutely, Grace. The situation is quite alarming, with an ever-increasing number of opioid-related deaths in the United States. Currently, only 20% of those with an opioid addiction can get their hands on medications like methadone. Despite its proven track record in reducing relapses and fatal overdoses, methadone is quite tightly controlled. Now, the Biden administration's goal with these new federal rules is to get methadone into the hands of more people who desperately need it. I see. Could you explain these methadone regulations and what the proposed changes involve? Sure thing, Grace. Up until now, methadone has been available strictly through specialized opioid treatment programs, it's a heavily regulated system. The administration's revised rules aim to make significant adjustments more take-home doses of methadone are to be permitted, telehealth consultations can lead to more frequent care, and other healthcare professionals like nurse practitioners will have the authority to order this medication. Notably, they're also dropping the rule that patients must have had an opioid addiction for over a year to get methadone. That sounds like a substantial shift in policy. What's been the reaction from experts and critics to these changes? Responses have been mixed. Addiction policy experts have welcomed the changes, lauding them as a positive step forward. However, critics argue that the revisions don't go far enough. They contend that qualified doctors outside of these specific opioid treatment programs should be entrusted with dispensing methadone. They're also pointing out that the current system, with its regulatory bottleneck, is insufficient considering the scale of the crisis. Interesting. And what can we speculate about the potential implications of these changes? The implications could be vast. For one, by easing restrictions and enhancing the availability of methadone, we could see a drop in the rates of opioid overdoses and deaths. The new rules could also ease the burden on opioid treatment programs and make it more convenient for patients to stick to their treatment plans, which could improve overall recovery outcomes. Could you also tell us how these changes affect another key opioid treatment medication? Yes, Grace. Alongside the new methadone rules, 
the administration is looking to liberalize the access to buprenorphine. This will be done by permitting it to be prescribed through telehealth services. This means that people living in remote or underserved areas could find it much easier to receive treatment, an important consideration in tackling the nationwide scope of the opioid crisis. This is indeed a pivotal moment in the nation's battle against opioid addiction. Have the sources given any indication of when these changes are expected to be put into practice? The reports from NPR News and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration suggest that these changes should take effect within the next six months, setting the stage for what many hope will be a turning point in addiction treatment access. Thank you, Ethan, for this in-depth analysis. We'll certainly keep our eyes on how these policy changes unfold and their impact on the opioid crisis. Glad to provide the insights, Grace. Stay with us as we move on to story two, right after the break. Now, for our second story of the morning, we're diving into a topic that's on a lot of people's minds the safety of our environment and the chemicals we come into contact with daily. The EPA has made a bold move proposing new rules on the regulation of PFAs, chemicals that have been stirring up health concerns. For an in depth look at what this means, we have Chloe on the line with us. Chloe, can you start by explaining what PFAs are and why the EPA is targeting them? Absolutely, Grace. PFAs, or purin polyfluoroalkyl substances, are a large group of man made chemicals used across various industries. Because they are resistant to heat, water, and oil, They've been incorporated into countless consumer products, from nonstick pans to water repellent jackets. The issue is that they've been linked to a host of health problems, including liver damage, birth defects, and increased cancer risk. So, the EPA is stepping in to propose increased regulation to protect public health. That sounds serious. Can you break down what these new rules are aiming to accomplish? Of course. The first rule would categorize certain PFA's wastes as hazardous, providing clear guidelines for disposal. The second rule would assist in determining if specific PFA's contaminated materials should be labeled hazardous waste. This would change how these materials are handled, likely leading to stricter disposal methods to prevent further contamination. And from what I understand, this has been reported by Law 360, which delves into the EPA's wider efforts to tackle PFA's. What is the scope of this contamination issue? It's quite broad, Grace. PFAs are sometimes called forever chemicals because they don't break down in the environment or in our bodies. People can be exposed to them at their jobs, through contaminated food or water, and even from household products. With these new rules, the EPA is acknowledging the urgent need to address this contamination more aggressively. What implications could these new regulations have on industries and consumers? there are going to be significant impacts. Industries using PFAs might face increased operational costs due to the stricter handling and disposal requirements. As for consumers, there may be a push for PFAs-free products, leading to changes in the availability of goods and possibly even prices. On the brighter side, this could initiate a shift towards healthier alternatives and spur innovation in product development. With all these potential changes, there are still quite a few unknowns. What does the research say on PFA's exposure, and where might we still need more answers? You've hit a key point. Although we have a lot of evidence that PFAs can be harmful, researchers are still investigating the extent of health effects across different exposure levels and types. This knowledge gap means that there's an ongoing need for studies to better quantify the risks and to provide more definitive guidance for both regulators and the public. 
And I suppose that consumers should be vigilant about the everyday products that might contain PFAs? That's right, Grace. Consumers concerned about exposure should keep an eye out for PFAs-free labels, especially on items like cookware, clothing, and personal care products. Brands have started eliminating PFAs from their products, but it's still a buyer-beware market. Thanks for bringing us up to speed on this, Chloe. It's definitely a story that will have a lot of people talking and thinking differently about the products they use every day. My pleasure, Grace. Always important to stay informed about these environmental and public health issues. Here are some other headlines. In breaking news, tragedy has struck with two separate plane crashes involving Russian individuals. The first crash, involving the head of the Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, occurred near Kuzhenkino, north of Moscow, on August 23, 2023. All 10 victims were identified through DNA testing after an explosion believed to be from a bomb on board. Meanwhile, a Russian military transport plane crash carrying 74 people has also been reported, with further details scarce at this time. In another concerning development, Ukraine's intelligence claims that Russia has refused to turn over bodies of plane crash victims, including scores of prisoners of war who perished. Investigators have identified all the crash victims amid the recovery of over 670 body fragments. From Turkey, a tense hostage situation unfolded at a Procter & Gamble factory in Gebs. Two gunmen took seven employees hostage over the Israel-Hamas conflict in Gaza. Local authorities and Turkish police negotiated a successful rescue, with all hostages emerging unscathed and the suspects apprehended. To the Middle East, the Biden administration has taken a strong stand on human rights by imposing sanctions against a group of Israeli settlers for reported attacks on Palestinians and peace activists. In an unprecedented move, four individuals face financial sanctions and visa bans, with more evaluations to come. Back on Wall Street, Meta Platforms, the parent company of Facebook, has experienced a tumultuous financial dive as stock prices plummeted on the back of revenue shortfalls and challenges within the digital advertising space and the VR sector. In a solemn tribute, President Joe Biden plans to attend a dignified transfer ceremony at Dover Air Force Base, honoring three Georgian U.S. troops killed by an Iranian-backed drone attack in Jordan. To round out our coverage, lawmakers are introducing the Veterans Housing Stability Act a significant piece of legislation aimed at protecting thousands of veterans from home foreclosures in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic mortgage relief program. These have been your latest headlines. More details won't be forthcoming in this newscast. Stay tuned for updates on these and other stories. Now, for our third story of the morning. It seems like the appendix, which many of us have believed to be a vestigial organ, isn't just taking up space in our bodies after all. Ethan, you've been following the research closely. What can you tell us about this organ that we've perhaps wrongly labeled as useless? Absolutely, Grace. It's quite fascinating, really. For years, the appendix was often an afterthought unless it was causing trouble. But recent studies, including work by Heather Smith, an anatomy professor with a personal connection to the appendix, have demonstrated that it's really an unsung hero in our gut health. It's involved in supporting our immune system and acts as a safe house for the beneficial bacteria in our gut. That's interesting, Ethan. Could you delve a little deeper into these functions? 
How exactly does the appendix support our immune system and gut health? Happy to explain, Grace. So, the appendix seems to be particularly good at fighting off invading pathogens, acting almost like a reserve for our immune system. In terms of gut health, after an illness, it helps to repopulate the intestines with friendly bacteria, which is crucial for our digestive system to recover. Given these new insights, has there been a shift in how we treat appendicitis? Indeed, there has. Traditionally, appendicitis meant an immediate trip to the operating room. But now, doctors are exploring treatments that preserve the appendix. One approach that stands out is using antibiotics like Augmentin and Zosin. In mild cases of appendicitis, these drugs can sometimes completely negate the need for surgery. Are antibiotics effective in every case? Well, they can be a game-changer, but they're not a one-size-fits-all solution. For more severe cases, hospitalization in a regimen of intravenous followed by oral antibiotics is required. Studies show a 67.1% success rate in treating uncomplicated appendicitis with this dual method. What about the impact of lifestyle, such as diet, on the health of the appendix? You've hit on a key factor there. A diet rich in fiber appears to be beneficial for appendix health. Comparatively, industrialized nations, where lower fiber diets prevail, see higher rates of appendicitis. So as our understanding of the appendix evolves, are there potential implications for future medical treatments? Great question. This heightened awareness could lead to refined diagnostic techniques, helping to determine who could benefit from antibiotics versus surgery. It's also a prompt for us to consider diet's role more closely in the health of our digestive and immune systems. Truly intriguing. What should someone do if they suspect they have appendicitis? Consulting a healthcare professional is critical. They'll take into account the individual's symptoms, test results, and factors like the presence of an appendicolith, that's a stone-like material in the appendix, to determine the best treatment plan. It sounds like we're just scratching the surface in understanding our own anatomy. Ethan, thank you for bringing us this insightful update on the once underestimated appendix. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4 Turbo, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.